Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. Today's episode is a five-person panel discussing virtual trade shows. We review the virtual trade show experience of 2020. What worked? What didn't work? And what was the experience like, not only from the standpoint of of exhibitors, but also the standpoint of attendees? We talk about the decision process for virtual trade shows in 2021. And finally, we review alternative marketing investments. Four MedTech executives join me today to discuss this very important subject. They have been in the field personally experiencing virtual trade shows and leading their teams in this new virtual environment. We have Lauren Dustman, who is the virtual and live events strategist for the Bixel Medical Marketing Group. Lauren is also a member of the Healthcare Exhibitors Association. We have Jeff Haidar, who is the Chief Commercial Officer for Fotani Care. Mark Lunham joins us from the United Kingdom. Mark is the Head of Global Learning Development and Training for Chai A Consulting. And finally, we have Carl Wolcott, who is the Vice President, Strategic Accounts for the AlphaSource Group. By the way, these four leaders are also members of the MedTech Leaders community that I host outside of LinkedIn. In the MedTech Leader community, we bring together leaders to help each other out with best practices, problems, ideas, and solutions. And this is all done with the support of subject matter experts. You can learn more about MedTech Leaders at medtechleaders.net. Again, that is medtechleaders.net, and there's a 30-day free trial. Now, let's dig into the virtual trade show experience with our panel of executives. I would like to welcome my panel here today from the MedTech Leaders community on the subject of virtual trade shows that essentially occurred in 2020 and then what happens when we look into 2021. And we're looking at this from several standpoints, and I'll put up a slide regarding that in just a second. But first, I'd like to have the panel uh, introduce themselves. I'm going to start ladies first. I'll start with Lauren. If just what your position is and uh, what you do for with BMMG. Absolutely. Hi, I'm really happy to be here. So thank you for inviting me to be a part of this panel. My name is Lauren Dustman, and I am the um, events service line leader for Bixel Medical Marketing Group. And what I do is for all of BMMG's clients, which is medtech primarily and biotech companies. Um, I manage all of their events to include uh, clinician events, sales programs, and then primarily trade shows and webinars. And we look at that from a strategic perspective. We manage everything from uh, soup to nuts from beginning to end. And another thing, Lauren, is you are a member of the Healthcare Exhibitors Association. I am, yes. And so is Lisa, uh, the head of Bixel Marketing Group, Bixel Medical Marketing Group. So uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes, but you you have some inter- interesting insights from the association side. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So now we'll go in alphabetical order. And I guess that le- leads us to Jeff. Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is 
Jeff Heider, first of all, again, I'm going to say the same thing. Thanks for including me in the panel. It's always uh, nice to have someone value your opinion. And, and it is just that as an opinion, but I do appreciate that. Sure. Uh, hopefully an opinion based on some experience. So I am uh, chief <coughs> with um, Photonicare. Uh, we are a startup company, manufacturer of, um, it's called Otosite Middle Ear Scope. And what we do is we have a medical device that uses optical coherence tomography to look into the middle ear of a child who may have a complaint of ear infections, chronic ear infections to really quantify and define if they truly do have a ear infection. So in my role, um, I'm responsible for marketing, trade shows, sales, and trying to pull all this together. And is, is you know, my question is, as not only as a panelist, but also as an attendee, what is the value of a trade show? And is, is there really value in a trade show anymore? Okay. And um, you joined them. It's a startup, so people need to understand that. And you joined them, what, last summer or? Yep. I joined in uh, August of 2020. Um, Previously was with Kent Imaging, another startup in the imaging space. And uh, they continue to do very well. Very proud of the success that uh, that they're seeing as well. They were, uh, I think the last one I was on your um, previous, one of your previous episodes, we were just in the round of fundraising. Um, and they, they've successfully achieved that fundraising and are beginning their, you know, full out commercial efforts. So really proud of what's, what's going on there for them as well. Excellent. Okay. Next, Mark, tell us about yourself. Hi, well, as everybody else has said, thank you very much for inviting me along today. Uh, so my name is Mark Lunum. I'm a head of global learning and development, at my own, my own company called Chai App Consulting. Having worked for over 25 years in medical device fields as a salesperson, as a sales manager, I then moved into training. I worked as a UK training manager, EMEA, Western Europe and Canada, and I finally ended up working in a global position. And the specific areas I have experience in are leadership development, uh, management effectiveness, sales force effectiveness, executive coaching. And what I've been doing over the last 12 months is working with a lot of my clients, specifically in virtual leadership, virtual selling, and an awful lot of organizations wanting to work about how do they effectively work at virtual trade shows. Okay, perfect. Perfect. And Carl, you're up. Yes, um, like everyone else, appreciate the invite. I'm really looking forward to hearing about this topic from the other panelists, as well as yourself, Ted, in the audience, uh, because this is a transitional time for all of us. So I am uh, in the imaging x-ray space. I work for AlphaSource Group. We're owned by a private equity company. We did a roll-up three years ago. Uh, So we're in imaging, x-ray, and endoscopy. Um, my responsibilities uh, here at Alpha Source Group, I joined about a year ago. Um, I sold uh, my interest in a company that I was a uh, partner in, joined up with Alpha Source. So my focus is working with OEMs to develop service delivery solutions and then uh, strategize with them how uh, they can grow their business without having to make investments in either depot services or field services. Uh, we, that's one division. That's our OEM division of Alpha Source. We have three other divisions. We have a division that's dedicated uh, strictly to advanced imaging, uh, nuclear med, PET, spec, CT, MRI, um, BMD, and ultrasound. Uh, we have a distribution uh, business, which sells accessories uh, and parts 
uh, glassware uh, to biomed um, companies as well as uh, end users and imaging companies. And then we have uh, medical optics, which is a endoscopy scope uh, and surgical instrument repair business. So we're pretty diversified. I participated, I came on board last year in January. So I've uh, worked with them to plan trade shows and all of those spaces. Uh, we just came off our, the most important trade show, we believe, is uh, uh, held in our industry in December and uh, learned a lot from that experience. Um, good, bad, and indifferent. So uh, looking forward to uh, communicating with everybody about that experience. Okay, excellent. Well, I'm going to share my screen and bring up, this is the MedTech Leaders Virtual Trade Show panel. And as I explained a minute ago, we're going to be talking about what is the attendee experience, then what is the exhibitor experience, you know, what has worked, what doesn't work. And then as we look into 2021, you know, what are the solutions or alternatives? Because these are big investments and we're all having difficulty because the pandemic has interfered so much with our traditional sources of new prospects and also interacting with the community at large. And then the attendee experience, oh, I don't want to go there. I went too fast. So the challenges are in short really quickly. And we're going to talk about this in a minute is they seem to be expensive. The attendees have not been, always motivated that much to go to a virtual exhibit and because they use their breaks to walk the dog or take care of some business matter. If they're attending, you know, let's say it's a doctor, they're attending out of their practice or a healthcare professional attending from their hospital office. Um, the platforms are all different. So now they're having to learn these platforms and from one show to another, the platform can be different. So they have to learn how to navigate something every time and the exhibitors are not always that well prepared to work in this virtual environment. We'll, we'll be addressing that here in a second. And then, you know, we have this inability due to the virtual ecosystem of, that it interferes with the industry's ability to work with key opinion leaders at the trade show. And that's one thing I know we all really look forward to at a trade show is interacting with these leaders and you know, making arrangements for the year ahead and plans and so on and so forth about how they can help us influence our markets. So that's, you know, that's the challenges that we have. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go to the next slide, which we're going to talk about the attendee experience. I'm going to have Mark speak first about that because, you know, in his role as a consultant for his clients, he's been attending some of these trade shows. And so, Mark, what I did was I took your email and I put down some of these bullets in a couple slides yeah. so we can just quickly go through them. And some of these things are common mistakes, but why don't you speak to this, if you don't mind? Yeah, um, thanks ever so much, Ted. Um, so a lot of the exhibitions that I've been to, as can be seen by the first point, is people have slides with so much information on which they feel they've got to walk through it so quickly so that you have no chance to take down any notes or anything. And you're sat at home trying to write stuff down. Now, when, Mark, uh, let me interrupt you here. When you say the people in this case, is it the, uh, like, is it the doctor that's attending or is it somebody at a trade show booth? It's somebody at a trade show booth. Oh, okay. So, so it's a, it's an, it's a presentation at a booth. Got it. Yeah, And it's also when people are talking in plenary as well. Okay. So it can be both of those. 
And so what can happen, and having spoken to those people that are attending from who are proper clients, so they're the doctors, those type of people, the big challenge they find is trying to take down notes of what's being discussed. They also find that when they get through to speaking to people at the virtual booth, again, people have got so much information on the slide that they really, really, um, they, they can't keep up with what they're talking about. And um, people will also be presenting from a slide deck, but they've just read the words that are on the slide deck. So it's almost, instead of having that as a, lot, a small portion of text, which you then talk about and have a discussion with the customer, it's very much, I'm going through this slide and I'm going to just read what's on there. And so again, talking to some of the doctors, what they felt is that it's very one way from the salesperson. There's not much interaction happening. Um, and again, as I said, the slide decks have got so many lines of text or there are embedded images and tables. And I'm sure we've all been to face-to-face -face meetings where people put up a thing and they say, oh, at the back, you probably can't read this chart, but what it's showing is. And it's the same sort of thing happening at the virtual booth. Okay. A quick question from Mark. Yeah. Um, so is this like if there is a, a virtual in-booth demo or is this just collateral that's added to the virtual booth? I'm, I'm kind of curious because what I've seen from an exhibitor perspective is that there's collateral that you can upload, but there's not a lot of allowance for in-booth demonstrations where you would speak to slides. So just kind of curious as to how you're seeing that play out. Um, from yeah. from the experience, from the, the exhibitions I've been the virtual exhibitions, I've been to some of it is actually in booth the salesperson is wanting to demonstrate the material that they've got but they're utilizing the slides to get the try and get some of the key points across and I have also seen in one where they actually had slide deck running um, and they were trying to show that it was almost like they, they'd got a second monitor that they were trying to link in so that they were they were talking. So when you look at how we're looking on the screen on the right-hand side, half of the screen was the person talking and the other half of the screen was the slide deck that that person was trying to show. And that was causing problems because you just, you, you know, yeah. no matter how close you get to the screen, you can't read what it says on it at all. Exactly. Especially if somebody's working off a laptop too, a smaller screen. Yeah. So it sort of leads to your next, the next slide, which captures a couple of the other points you yeah. made, which and it's and and it's going back to what you were talking about, Ted, which is so there's a break in the the plenary discussions or the presentation, and it, that's the time when it's right. Right now, it's time to go to the trade show booths. So make sure that you support the people who have um, you know. Uh, been supporting this trade show exhibition, go to the booths. And then when they get there, they, they've literally got 10 minutes and you've just got loads of people trying to talk to people. Or as you say, they go, all oh, right, lovely. They take their earpiece out, close the camera down and they go to the bathroom or go and get a cup of coffee or something like that. So I would imagine 
from an exhibitor, you've got 10 minutes and then everybody's coming at you at the same time. That can then lead to where salespeople are just going straight to trying to talk about features and benefits. Well, some of them don't talk about benefits. They just talk about features. And it's, I've got to get this sale. I've got 10 minutes. I've got to get this. Then I've got to try and get on somebody else. So it's very, very rushed. So it almost sounds to me that like some of the exhibitors don't have really clear virtual sales strategies and, and processes. Yeah. Well, Mark, Absolutely. I think you make some assumptions in your statement there that that the sales rep is actually trying to sell. Um, it, Ted, if you don't mind, I'll just jump in with a. a yeah, quick. yeah, yeah. I, I turned the slideshare off, so now we yeah, can discuss. So, so this has bit. been my observation, and I'm going to go back to a, a wound care conference um, that I previously attended mid-year, and um, there was a guy who's like, "Hey, I'm attending this conference," and he takes a picture of himself and you know posts it on their little hashtag, and the guy is sitting in a Volkswagen bus with his surfboard leaned up against the side of it, sitting in the back of it with his you know swim gear on. Now, when that guy gets a break, he is not going to the booths. And I think, you know, we sat there, we diligently sat there for three, four days monitoring this conference. But the people that you're talking about, they're going to they're gonna go get sold. The people, there's so few to talk to. You're like, well, what do I do? Like, I have someone to talk to. It, it's very interesting um, just that I, to hear your dynamic of it from the other side, because like we're sitting there for days and, and I, it's a significant expense. I'm sure we'll get into the expense of these things, but um, you're paying somebody to sit there and work that booth, which essentially they're sitting there staring at a screen and nobody coming. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's very interesting to hear that other perspective. Yeah. yeah and and um, sorry to, to, to go back to what you've just said. I, I've done, I've done exhibitions in face to face where you're, you are literally stood there and then they give you lunch time and then everybody gets their lunch and you get one or two people come. Um, but it is about that. Is it the objective to try and sell your product up there? Or actually, is it about lead generation? So you're going to try and get that person. And I can understand from an exhibitor's perspective that you suddenly, suddenly somebody appears on the screen in front of you. And it's like, oh, my God, the boss is going to want me to sell something. And you go straight at them. You know, I can understand that. But I, but I, uh, Ted, I'm going to tie in what you said is, is, you know, that's a question I wrote to myself. What is the goal of a booth at a meeting? And I don't care if it's in person or virtual. The goal is not to me, the goal is not to sell. The goal is to give them enough of a carrot to engage into a deeper conversation, either in person or down the road or a scheduled appointment that, that lead and how quickly that lead gets executed upon, um, is critical obviously. But, uh, but to your point, right, the goal is to get the lead, to get the interest and you'll sell later. Yep, right. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, Jeff, I agree with you there. Um, the issue that we've run across, and I think this is, there's a learning curve for industry here, both if you're an attendee, um, healthcare professional, or an exhibitor. Um, I think our, our way of valuing, if you will, calculating ROIs on these events has to shift uh, because if we if we tried to justify and do a calculation of ROI on the conference we uh, attended and, and we've attended it forever, um, this past December, the, there'd be no return for us because at this particular um, conference, you're able to 
go right to the point that Jeff made, where you've got the commitment you get is a commitment to engage after the conference, to have a discussion about the technology or what have you. Um, we just felt the technology, the platform that was used, really became another gatekeeper. Um, and it prevented us from really having interaction with the end users. They absolutely had to be committed to wanting to talk to you, to get through our chat room, mm -hmm. to a meeting room with one of us, to have that opportunity um, that was just talked about um, by Mark, to have an opportunity to present or have any kind of um, significant dialogue. So, you know, we're you know, we see this, we're just not sure of the value um, and of if this is what it's become, just a branding tool, um, then, you know, we have to reassess um, our commitment to attending these types of uh, conferences going forward. Well, let's, and we're segueing right into the exhibitor experience. So we've, it's perfect. We're talking about it now. So let's talk about let's talk a little bit more specifically about these experiences. You know, um, I had a good experience in the summer right after everything went virtual, but it but it was a small show. It was a small specific sp symposium. About 130, 140 geneticists for ophthalmology showed up, and because it was so new they had a really difficult time getting sponsors on board quickly. And so we were one of three sponsors of the program and you could make a presentation as a sponsor to the entire audience for a real, relatively reasonable price. So we, we were able to make a presentation. We had an exhibit where they could download a couple things, including a video that we made. And um, so our experience coming out of that, especially now, the other thing is we had a, uh, a piece of equipment that goes from anywhere from forty dollars to $100,000. So one sale, you've paid for everything, right? Yeah. And so we came away from that with some really good leads, um, enhanced our reputation because we got a lot of attention, and that was good. So that was one experience. But then I'll share – I'm going to um, – share really quickly the other potential experience that, uh, let's see here. So this is another huge meeting for ophthalmology that's very, very important. And I don't know if you can see this clearly. Um, maybe I can blow it up a little bit. Um, really important European meeting for ophthalmology. And here's the choices you had. Now, in ophthalmology, we have hundreds of small businesses that usually get 10, 20 foot booths. So if you, and, and this is the cost of a typical 10 foot booth, the 20 foot booth, you might be at 8,000 euros, 10,000 euros. But remember at a booth, you can hand out all kinds of stuff. You can have all kinds of videos going, you can have all this stuff going on, but they had this gap between bronze and silver, 4,400 euro. Your next option was 34,000 euro. And even at 34,000 euro, you only have three videos you can upload and five PDFs that can be part of your booth. Yeah. So that's just an example of, and if you went in as a small exhibitor, you have two uploadable PDFs and you can have, I think, two people attend and you can have one-to-one -one chat, but this is terrible deal. you know. And if you're a company that has invested 
in your own uh, evergreen uh, booth platform, you know, trade show booth, you had to pay the platinum level to be able to link to that group, into yeah. that something that you probably invested a lot of money into. So that was so that was my experience. We decided not to go to the big meeting. We didn't go to the U.S. ophthalmology meeting because it was also a very bad organization for pricing. But the one good experience was a small meeting. So, I, so Lauren, you're going to comment or? Yes, I, I was. And I was going to just say that I think that that's something that across the board, regardless of, of what exact, what your niche is in the med device or the biotech industry, um, we're seeing that these smaller shows that have a much more focused audience and that provide more interactive opportunities, that's where you're going to see success for virtual programs. You're not going to get lost in a sea of hundreds of exhibitors with a logo this big on the exhibition page that people have to search and find you. You know, only 20% of physicians were actually making the, you know, crossing that bridge to go even look at virtual booths this last year. And so if they're not there specifically to see you and talk to you, chances are they're not going to just stumble upon you. <laughs> so yeah. um, you either need to be very, very targeted and very aggressive in your pre-show marketing plan, or you need to reassess your participation at these larger programs and see, you know, what are other options other than just focusing on a virtual booth? Um, yeah, and clearly that price gap is it's not attainable for many of these companies. No. Right, right. And yeah. in a minute, in a couple minutes, we're going to segue right into a couple slides that Lauren has, but Jeff, go into a little more specifics about your experiences. Yeah. So I would say we've not really had a strong experience um, covering probably what has amounted to about eight conferences in two different distinctly different areas. And you know, I think the challenge is getting people to the booth. And Lauren, I actually made a note on that as the aggressive pre-show marketing. You've got to do something to get people there. And and so um, in addition to the trade shows here that I'm going to parrot the experience of everyone else have it has had is you put this work in, you develop a booth. It's a pain in the butt to manage the platform to get your booth set up. So now you're, you know, again, you look at it ROI from a startup perspective, every dollar is very important to us. And the opportunity cost of each hour is very expensive. So now I'm paying you know, we work with consultant marketers and this person is putting in 10, 12 hours to a booth. They're frustrated. The people who are managing the conference are frustrated with the platform. And, and I've not seen a really solid platform yet. So what we've done is we've actually started to develop. And I noticed it was interesting, Ted, on that slide you put up that they charge extra to have a link to your external booth. So I've talked to folks at Johnson & Johnson. I observed this at Medtronic at the American Academy at Otolaryngology Head and Neck meeting last year. A lot of the larger companies, and, and we're parroting this, is developing their own booth platform outside of the meeting. So, you know, we actually did this for a meeting late last year, and we actually had a 70% click-through rate. So essentially, there was, we had our booth, um, it was it was nice, but if you wanted more information or you wanted anything, it click, you clicked on it, it took you directly to our company website that was very targeted to that conference. So thank you for clicking in from the, you know, conference, and then we had much higher engagement once we got them off of the show platform because these are people who actually wanted to hear it uh, and see the information and we also got the lead information so to me that was the best experience now this year um natalie marquez who is our consultant she uh, has a company called grow marketing in champaign illinois and she works with a lot of 
ag um, customers that she markets for. So there was an ag conference called Specialty Growers Conference put on by the Illinois Farm Bureau. Small conference, Ted, like you alluded to, 600 members, and they had implemented a strategy of trying to do a scavenger hunt. And, and we were at a pediatric conference and they had offered this as well and just didn't see the value. It was about $5,000 to put this, to take part in a scavenger hunt, just didn't see the value. But out of the 600 attendees at this specialty growers meeting, six people clicked through the, to the scavenger hunt. So I think the challenge is, and what my experience has been, the societies are stuck as well. They don't know how to get people to, you know, and I think, um, you know, one of the things that, that I think goes with this, Mark, you talk about this, you've got a, you've got a study or a slide on one side, you got a person talking to the other is even how we present ourselves. We have to think about as if you're on Fox news or CNN and I pick both sides cause I don't have a bias to either one, but we have to be news readers, right? We have to understand how to present as if we're being presented to as if it's the news, one bullet point succinct. Um, what is our lighting like? Ted, I noticed the books you have behind you are very intentional. Mark the same thing, right? You have a book position. So we have to really, we have to approach our show persona totally differently than we did in the past. And I think, um, I just, uh, my experience has been the more we can become like television or the news industry, the better we're going to be at conveying our information to people. Um, hmm. And and it looks like, Lauren, you've got something to jump in on that. So I'm sorry, Ted, to take it, but I want to hear what Lauren yeah. has to say because she's, she's chomping there. <laughs> well, well, before before Lauren gets in, I just want to ask you, Jeff, like, can you share how much you um, invested in your own Evergreen uh, exhibit? Yeah, so we probably put about 2,500 into it. Cause really it was just developing our own webpage that, you know, we had, um, we worked with a separate consulting group Again, startups love using consultants that have experience. So, you know, they went and developed, we had, um, you know, it was essentially a playoff of our original webpage. Um, it was just our standard brat branding. It was, you know, welcome from this conference. You clicked on the link. It was a very targeted message with a video of myself just, hey, welcome to the booth. Here's some information you'll notice down here. You have stuff. You notice over there you have stuff. And if you have any questions, please click. And people would click and they would ask questions. So it was a very inexpensive way. And we were looking at costs. And Ted, you asked us to think about this. You know, a live conference probably was talking about, as a startup, was costing about 10 to 15 grand a show. By the time you travel, by the time you have meals, by the time you have to come up with some sort of booth, whether you rent or, or, or manufacture your own, and then all the costs of printing, all that stuff to show up at a meeting, about 10 to 15 grand. And we cut that cost out to about 30% of that, we believe. By the time we put a booth in, by the time we look at the time invested to develop the materials, and, and what we customized wasn't that crazy from one show to the next. It was very easy. You just change the name of the show, maybe the video that you have attached to it. And um, you know, one of the platforms, actually one we learned about on the show is Hippo Video. That's been very helpful for us yeah. uh, to be able to capitalize on that, to have a more real experience with customers. Now, another question for you. In this evergreen booth that they could go into, so they could ask a question, was that a chat type of question or could they actually click a link and be talking to somebody physically? We kept a Zoom room open. So they just clicked on the link and it took them right to our Zoom room. Um, so we were there live, essentially waiting for them. Um, and, you know, we have, uh, we've developed, um, I, I'm a real big believer that uh, I've seen the articles as medical device sales dead. Um, I don't think it's dead. I think it's different. Um, yeah. So we have a lot of tools that are like videos that are, you know, let me click on here on how to use, how to use the device um, here. You know, here's a virtual version of our software. You play with it and you let them be able to control that. And all these capabilities that are not expensive capabilities, these are things that are out there on the generic, you know, on the, on the market, you don't have to pay a lot 
hot 10, 15 bucks a month for some of these tools. Um, but what it did is it created a very direct uh, interaction. And, you know, instead of talking at the person, they're now actually controlling the web page of how to use our technology. So I think um, it's not expensive. It's really not expensive. And if uh, two or three people came into the Zoom room at the same time, how did you triage them? We just had a conversation. I mean, we weren't seeing a large volumes of that. Okay. Our anticipation was if we ran into that, we would ask them that we would just chat them a link to a separate Zoom room. Um, but but if you had two or three, I'd be like, oh, I see, you know, Dr. Newell has joined the call. Dr. Uh, Luna, you know, I'd like to talk to you about this. But if you mind, you know, just like you normally would in a conference, if someone walked up, you try and politely integrate them into the conversation. Got it. Okay. Um, and it became very seamless. I think, again, the goal is to generate their interest for a future conversation where you can get more one-on-one with them. And I think that's, you know, I think as a whole, what are we closing for? We're closing for the opportunity to have a greater meeting or a better meeting or more one-on-one meeting. Lauren, I'm sorry. I interrupted you a minute ago. (laughs) I, I was just listening. I think that Jeff makes a lot of great points. Um, you know, I think that the virtual experience, um, is, is where a lot of the future is, even with hybrid programs, uh, you need to be able to have a virtual experiential offering in addition to an in-person booth, because there'll be some people that just won't be willing to travel, that won't be willing to expose themselves at these larger trade shows. So continuing to capitalize on that virtual experience, I think is going to be huge moving forward. Yeah. Okay. I think in in the point that was made earlier, um, I think we also, there's a difference between the large international trade shows Mm -hmm. and people's willingness to participate and uh, more regional or localized or smaller associations, let's put it that way. Um, So we participate in the RSNA and that's the largest international um, conference for imaging. So 137 um, countries are represented and they're heavily slanted to professional uh, continuing education. They, as an association, as an organization, do a lot of work for the imaging professionals, the radiologists, cardiologists to be, you know, to earn their um, credits. So what would happen is uh, we have a presence, major presence in the U.S., but not so much international. We do some work internationally, but not a lot. And the difference, and this is where you sort of lose it in translation when you're not able to communicate, you know, face-to-face or have an effective uh, virtual conversation with somebody if they haven't come to the booth because the different healthcare models really drive the kind of conversation you're going to have. In the past, uh, you would have GPOs, you would have finance executives attend along with radiologists and administrators of radiology departments because they've sort of surrendered some of their decision making and it's become more um, a decision driven on the finances and the people that stroke the check. And internationally, that's not necessarily the case. So we had an abundance of international folks visit our booth and struggled to get domestic customers uh, to visit. Um, the ones that did visit were customers we were already doing business with. And the reason is after doing some post-show interviews, the other folks were really there because they needed continuing education credits. And there was no incentive for them to go to the exhibit, virtual exhibit. Um, and we 
talk to the uh, organization about that because they lowered the cost of an attendee's fee, um, which, okay, now it's less expensive. Nobody's, there's no mandate or no requirement for me to go support the people that are funding the conference. Um, so folks were just indifferent, um, you know, and you could reach out to them, um, but there was no requirement for them to respond back in a chat or an email. Um, you had no follow-up credentials provided um, after the conference. They keep the booth open. I think it's going to be open until April 1st. But the issue is you have to communicate through that platform. And, and what RSNA did, I Jeff was mentioning, you know, creating a virtual booth and having a link to it. They would not allow any of us to do that. The booth you had was on their platform. So, you know, and we're we're competing against Titans like GE, Phillips, Siemens, um, Canon. So they have wonderful booths. And talking to those folks, those virtual booths where they literally have virtual demonstrations, um, uh, obviously they had videoed and incorporated it in. Um, they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases. Um so when you're a small to medium-sized company and you're forced to build that booth and keep it on that platform, now you can take it with you after the fact. Uh, but the bottom line is if people don't contact you or they can't click through uh, to your uh, website to garner more information, it, it really challenges uh, the justification of doing that. So we found ourselves uh, working the conference aggressively. We did a lot of pre-conference um, emailing, um, using social media platforms. And then during the conference, where there were um, individuals that we wanted to speak with, uh, we were sending out chats and, you know, we hosted um, a raffle. We did all these different things. We had, we uh, created um, videos and sent links to them, hoping that would entice them uh, based on their discipline. Um, but it, it didn't, uh, we didn't get the results that we wanted. Okay. And back, back to Jeff. So you actually went through uh, probably several experiences. Then you reacted by developing your evergreen uh, trade show booth that you linked to your website. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's the one thing, like I look at those prices you had on there, which are, are, are out of line and those are very expensive, but I think still, you know, the, you know, you have shows that are, you know, 600 people wanting to charge $5,000 for a booth or, you know, even 3000. And one of the big value pieces out of this, again, it's just generating leads is do I get to keep, do I get the name of the attendees or not? And I understand in medical, you know, they have to be protected. Did, but there's got to be a way that these that societies are, I mean, societies need industry to help support the society meetings. And, you know, there's, there was a plastics conference that they had a totally different approach. Like you'll be there if you want to be there. They kind of took a more of an arrogant approach to it, in my opinion. Um, and these are the booths and maybe you can't afford to be at the show then. And it was kind of a very off-putting uh, way they approached it. But, you know, it does make me wonder, like I'm willing to pay because I'm getting emails from, you know, 10, 15 people before the show about buy the lead list. Here's the lead list. Here's their emails. And, you know, that's really all I care about. So yep. I just forget going to the show, get the lead list 
And don't even, I mean, I hate to say don't support society, but don't invest in the annual meeting. There's other ways I can support society. I can create a grant. I can create so many different things that are more, maybe more beneficial to society as a whole. And I think nobody's going to pull all the societies together. That will never happen. Even within disciplines, there's arguments between societies, but there's got to be a way that somehow as an industry, and maybe this is Adam Ed's job, I don't know, where they demonstrate the value of industry to the trade show and help find a happy medium there. Because I don't think, Carl, as you said, we just can't continue to afford to do that. And I think even these big companies at some point are going to say, you know what, I'm not going to drop a million dollars at a booth for RSNA or 300,000 on a booth for ASPS or something like that. Yeah. Well, what's interesting um, that Jeff, so I think it's an educational and a growth opportunity for all parties involved, the societies, the trade show folks that are coordinating this, uh, and then the exhibitors. And more importantly, I think the attendees, because they they have to condition themselves to accept the new normal or whatever this is going to be um, for our, however long. And I think Lauren mentioned it. We're, we won't ever go back to just, you know, in-person trade shows, I don't believe. I think there, there's going to be a hybrid out there. But for instance, you know, the RSNA usually has about 52,000 attendees. Um, it was down to 28,000 this year. And... You know, they tried to do things to en enhance the experience. They extended it one day, which was a Sunday to a Saturday, which, you know, when you're not getting any traffic, that's difficult to swallow. Then they extended the booth um, until April. We've not gotten any. I've gone on and, and had our folks go on to try to stir up some communication, but we've not, you know, gotten a lot of post-show activity. Um, even the educational part of it, this tells you that they they aren't sure about how to go forward. Um, they made the decision, you know, early enough in the summer to allow folks that would attend this to redirect their focus. But um, for instance, they normally have 700 average between 750 and 800 technical uh, presentations or technical exhibits. And this is the research part of it. They had 200, uh, 235. So w when you look at the technical exhibits down from 740 to 235, you look at the educational courses going down from 440 to 120. And, and they were shooting for the same revenue number. Um, our cost uh, was about 10% more expensive um, because we had some development um, costs. We didn't do anything extravagant. We were one of those panels Lauren was describing. You had GE Phillips, Siemens Cannon, and then you had, you know, those folks that were in the middle with a little bit of a bigger panel. And then we were one of the, you know, uh, 180 <laughs> that were listed <laughs> alphabetically. So, so it's, it's, you know, I think they have to take their time to plan it properly. And instead of trying to control necessarily what we're doing as exhibitors or what we're trying to accomplish, they should collaborate more closely with us. They have these panels that we're participating in, but, you know, they, they, this, this conference represents 54% of the revenue annually. So you can understand that they, you know, they need the money and they need to figure it out. And, and um, other exhibitors that we talked to, their costs 
unless they just didn't participate, their costs um, weren't less. In almost every case, they were double-digit more expensive. Yeah, and the, 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 I want to. Yeah, Lauren, I want to go to you now because Lauren can also speak a little bit from the association side. So, yeah, please, Lauren. Absolutely. So, you know, in in having meetings with HCEA and Healthcare Exhibitor Association, and, and and working with some of the folks to develop their annual meeting agenda, you know, we have representation from the Freemans of the world, from the associations, from the yes. industry side as well. And one thing that I think everybody is echoing is that virtual trade shows, they're, they're not working <laughs> like people were hoping and the associations, they realize that and they recognize that and they know. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that there's any mystery that industry is not as happy with how trade shows are going. Um, I think that attendees, a certain demographic are really loving being able to wear their slippers and their robe and, and attend these programs and not feel like they have to go to the exhibit hall. But then there's the other side of KOLs like Ted and I were talking about last week that they are there and they want to be engaged with, with industry. They want to be on the front lines of new technology and, and bringing that to their facility. So, you know, I, I think everybody understands that there are certain things that aren't working and the association I know wants this association side, they want to be able to, bridge that gap and to find something that does work. But as Carl was saying, they are very dependent on their annual meetings for their, the bulk of their yearly income. Okay. Um, so it's caught between a rock and a hard place for everybody. And yeah. so I think kind of the, the theme of 2021 should be, as Carl was saying, how do we come together to find a solution that works for everybody? And something that I'm counseling my clients is, you know, if, if you can have promotional or sponsorship opportunities at a virtual trade show and not a booth, go that way, go that route, make some noise, make sure that there's that brand awareness there, but, you know, don't invest in a booth when it's not worth it and find alternatives like Jeff has with his evergreen um, virtual experience on his website and then find ways outside of the virtual trade shows to partner with these associations there are a ton of opportunities throughout the year, whether it's integrated marketing email campaigns, co-branded webinars, roundtables, um, you know, there's just, the, the offerings are so rich. And I feel like historically people haven't looked outside of the traditional trade show as a, as a, as an opportunity to work with these associations, but that's kind of where we are. And that's what I'm coaching people to do is don't, you know, think outside of the booth, think outside of the box. How can we still work with these associations and make them feel valued and have a great partnership, but not necessarily waste money on a booth where you're not getting any traffic and you're sitting there staring at a screen. Yeah. And and Jeff mentioned, you know, uh, requesting or paying for an attendee list with contact information. Mm -hmm. Quite honestly, we'd be willing to pay a lot of money uh, as part of our package and even participate in the booth, if after the fact um, we had some usable contact data. Um, and I don't know how you rationalize that. I don't, you know, 58,000, nobody's going to give us 58,000 emails, you know, contacting them professionally. But if, if we had if we can assure ourselves that the good work that we do preparing for the conference, we, you know, work through the um, virtual uh, conference engagement, 
Um, but ultimately, we, we just want those attendees to spend time with us one way or the other. If they aren't compelled to visit the virtual booth, then at least allow us to have some kind of post-conference communication with them. Uh, email or, or something along those lines. And I know there's, you know, there's issues around that, but. Yeah, but to Carl's point, the only people you get in a typical conference, the only people you can follow up with are the ones that actually came to your booth. So if there's nobody coming to your booth, you have nobody to follow up with. Yeah. Right. Yep. It, and you'll love this. They didn't even give us their email addresses. So if we had a visit, um, we, as a follow-up would, um, I am them off this platform and give them our contact information. We hoped that they would provide us theirs. And, you know, we had to go. So we had uh, meeting rooms, each of us. We had 10 different folks participate over the six days. We took different, you know, we broke it down into shifts, if you will. And then we each had our individual uh, meeting room. So if a group of customers, uh, like we'd have some of our current customers attend, they were there at the same time. So it was all IM, um, at least in our conference, it was IMing. So people were at, they could have been competitors, competitive health systems, asking about pricing, you know, things that you just don't want to necessarily be in the middle of, uh, you know, having conversations with three different customers about pricing and those types of things. So we would quickly move them off to our um, meeting rooms. Um, and then, of course, that that glitched uh, was on the back bone of Microsoft teams and it kept glitching so then we were just using our go to meeting links we'd send it out and do a meeting now with them and get got it off their platform but it was uh, yeah it was for an organization that's driven by technology and managed by you know um, ingrained and in, uh, very capable professionals it just seemed like they missed the mark uh, a lot of ways yeah no kidding Let's wrap that thought up. Yeah, go so ahead. The, the, what I what what I'm observing is we need to clearly or there there's the goals of an attendee, the goals of industry, and the goals of the society to have the meeting are disparate, and they all come together under the virtual or under the a typical trade show meeting. The problem we're trying to face is we all want to mail a letter. Well, the U.S. Postal Service was the best option we had. Well, then something happened. They got slow. So we got FedEx, we got UPS, we got DHL. We're trying to find the best way to do it. And what we really need to do is stop looking at it as that was a trade show. How do we make a trade show work as a virtual trade show to, I don't need to send a letter anymore. I got email. I got all these other ways to contact you. So we have to make this quantum leap to get out of even the virtual trade show booth that looks like a real trade show booth to how do we now achieve our goal? Our goal is leads. Our goal is connections with people. Yep. If I, I could take into, you know, invest definitive healthcare data on a, a, a you know, for a, to get a massive report that gives me what I want or a hundred thousand or whatever the number is, right. I can go invest in that data and not even do a trade show and I've still achieved my objective. Right. So I think that's where these all have to come aligned and figure out what's, what's everyone's goals and how do we get there? Yeah. Well, let's, let's move into, I want to share this, um, thing that uh, the Bixel Medical Marketing Group came up with. I want to share that slide again. And it is their, uh, I don't know if you called it a lens or a matrix. 
Yeah, I mean, it looks like a matrix, but we call it our trade show lens. And so we developed this when kind of thinking about our 2021 strategy. If you think about all of the different types of show offerings that you will have in the coming year, there's the small virtual shows, which we're saying are typically more successful when it's a niche audience who uh, is there. They have the time and the incentive to be focused on exhibitors. Then there's the large virtual, like what Carl's talking about, which is RSNA or ASCO, um, or that large one that you were referring to, Ted, um, then hopefully yeah. looking at in person, maybe Q3, Q4, 2021. Um, and then there's also going to be hybrid components for both small and large programs. So if we say, based on what we've heard from industry professionals, based on what our experiences have been and what our clients have experienced, what is the lens that we need to look through when we're determining our participation at these programs? in order to maximize our meaningful engagements with customers, you know, nurture those relationships and generate brand awareness. So when we say, look at all these programs, what are the different things we can do? We can have a large or a small booth presence. We can host live demos. Um, we can have different promotion opportunities surround marketing. And then when we look at interacting with customers, do we have different ways to do virtual VOC or in-person VOC? Uh, obviously, physician breakfast, lunches, and dinners are a thing of sort of the past. And they are there's technology like um, Eat Engage, where you can host a virtual dinner symposium. You know, yep. get creative there. Um, and then also talking about pre-show promos. Uh, and then finally, when we're now kind of shifting to the in-person and hybrid programs, looking at what kind of virtual presence should we have there. So I think you know this is something that's a great rule of thumb to kind of think about when you're first approaching a program and saying, hmm, should I participate? Should I attend? If so, what are my parameters? And then from there, you can really drill into the particulars for these shows and say, you know, look at your audience demographic, look at what you want to accomplish specifically at the show. Do you want to have X number of meaningful conversations? Do you want to, uh, you know, have, how do you want to measure those metrics? And then go off of this guideline for, making sure that you're achieving your goals for programs. And so if you have enough X's in a particular area, you could, you could justify attending. If, if not, you might say it's just not worth it. Right. And so if we're looking at this, this is, this is our suggestions. And so we would say, you know, again, based on our experience, this is what we would do at these programs if we would want to participate. You know, and, and even so, as we're learning more, we're, we're seeing that at these large virtual programs, for example, uh, DDW is coming up, which is huge in the gastro world. Uh, you know, we are suggesting that we look at sponsorship and promotional opportunities without having a booth, which is something that they're allowing for the first time this year, which I think is very, very smart of DDW um, and will attract more folks who don't want to pay $10,000 for a logo that big and one downloadable PDF. Um, so yeah. it's, it's really like, let's, let's look at a rule of thumb here and then let's drill down into each show that kind of fits into these buckets of types of programs. Okay. Cause the, from, from the perspective of talking to some of the clients that I've been working with, they're definitely going down the route like Jeff was talking about earlier where they're talking about, do you know what? We're not going to do those big exhibitions. We're going to take the money we would spend on that, and we're going to spend it in the in the marketing mix to look at an alternative way to get at those customers. 
or they're going to set up their own small, like a mini exhibition, but where they're going to be more in control of you know, bringing uh, customers in and talking around different topics and so that they can be in control of the agenda because they just find that when they talk to some of the larger organizations, they're just saying, that's what it is. You either pay the money or don't come. And, yep. and, and I think that that's great. They can have that attitude. I don't think they're going to have that attitude for long because I think what they're going to find is a lot of customers are going, well, thank you very much. We'll, leave, we'll be without it. Yeah. And then it's, they're just not going to have the attendees. Now, let me, let me interrupt a second. We're on the hour. Is, does everybody have a few more minutes? Yeah. Yep. I'm fine. Okay. All right. Good. Because where, where some of this discussion is going, I just wanted to make sure we looked at this, this matrix, because I, I think it really helps somebody like Lauren said, dig down in and decide, are they going to try something? Are they going to make, for example, a large virtual show? Okay. Spend $5,000 just so your brand's there perhaps. And uh, you don't do much else, but if we go to the next slide, um, whoops, right here, trade show alternatives, you know, think outside the booth, which is where this conversation has been going. And, and Lauren's already mentioned a number of these things, but what I got a kick out of the other day was Lauren told me about a shortage of box trucks. Would you explain that Lauren, please? A sh shortage of box trucks, like with uh, road shows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So road shows are really taking off. Um, I feel like they've always kind of been there in the background, but we have a lot of folks who are saying, okay, you can't come to us at a trade show. So we're going to come to you. We're going to bring our product to you. We're going to have a really neat uh, mobile demonstration vehicle that we can come to our customers on demand. And we're working on that now actually for some of our clients, but uh, people are saying that these, these box trucks are so in demand that they are, they have weeks and months of uh, waiting periods before they can get them it's like box trucks are the new hot commodity for a lot of training purposes, which is something that I would not have ever thought of two years ago. Um, but it, it's like it's like gold now to a lot of large and now even some smaller companies that are saying, you know, this is within our reach and let's get creative. Let's make a mobile experience. Um, so it's just been it's been very interesting seeing the other side of events and marketing that isn't necessarily trade show related. So if you can imagine where it's so difficult to get into a hospital and to go from floor to floor or to go to different departments where your products might fit, you pull up in a box truck with some agreement with the purchasing department or whatever, and you just you know, advertise to everybody in the hospital that you're going to be there. They can make appointments. They can come out, go through a you know, hand-washing, mask-wearing procedure, whatever. They can come into your box truck and... And depending on the equipment, of course, some it's going to work better in some situations than others, but they can experience your your product and or service. And then you you also said that some people were making even larger uh, transportable pavilions. So when I when I was talking about pavilions, I mean, typically when you look at a very large show in a larger company, they'll have an entire ballroom that they've you know, filled with kiosks and large LED screens and demo stations. And so for, for the cost of what you would pay for a pavilion at one of these large programs, you can pay for the equipment of a mobile demo, you know, futuristic pod that's 30 feet long and 20 feet wide that you can plop 
in an exhibit hall. You can drive it all over the country. You can have next level, you know, first of its kind on American soil uh, experiences for your customers. And that would be the same cost, again, as one pavilion exhibition uh, at a large show. So when you think about that and really the, the value there and the return on your investment, it, it makes a lot of sense to really go down this kind of mobile roadshow, mobile demo path um, and, and to really customize and elevate the experience for your customers and don't make them go to a trade show where they're not comfortable traveling to. You can bring your brand and uh, customer experience straight to their doorstep. And you can also market yourself driving down the road. <laughs> People yeah. are going to see your branded pod on the highway and say, what the heck is that? And, you know, you're going to get hits on your website. You're going to get hits on your social media. It's just marketing and demonstrations all in one, which is exciting. Yeah. And, you know, we did, uh, somebody mentioned um, earlier about working with associations to create other creative ways of engaging their membership and drawing more attention to your brand, uh, getting what what amount to be attendees to support uh, support your event. We uh, we did work with one group. Um, it was expensive, but it's turned out to be um, it's turned out to be a good experience for us. Uh, we did a virtual town hall meeting. Uh, we had some individuals in the industry, uh, thought leaders, that were on a panel. We uh, went ahead and uh, we controlled the content. We worked with, when I say control, we worked with them to get questions vetted, um, things that we knew would be of interest to an audience uh, similar to this. And we, um, we went ahead and had a very focused invite list through this association. So anybody that attended, attended with the intent to learn something. Um, either learn something from the speakers, learn more about um, our programs. Um, so I think we had like 80 attendees. And, and what we did is we provided this organization a list of names of individuals in the organization that we have either attempted to work with or prospecting to work with. Um, so then they made calls to qualify the individual on attending and whether they wanted to or not. So we did this about three months ahead of time. Uh, so we had a significant number of attendees and every one of them we've had a meaningful um, conversation with after the town hall. Um, discussions we hadn't been able to secure with them ahead of time. So, so um, again, expensive, but when we look at our uh, ROI on that, um, and compare that to, let's say, the RSNA that was even, you know, about four times more expensive. Uh, it was, you know, it was really beneficial. So those are the creative things I think Jeff was talking about, and Lauren, uh, you as well, Mark. Where you have to think out of the box because this really isn't about replicating the in-person experience anymore. This is all about something new and starting to learn how to function in, in a virtual environment. And I, 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 I agree 100%. Mark, go ahead. I think also the other aspect that we need to be thinking about is, yeah, we've got to be thinking about how we're going to do things differently in, the, in, this next, um, in this next field that we're in. But I think it's also going to be about thinking about making sure that the people that we're going to expect to exhibit 
stand there, whether it's a trade show booth or whether it's a, a, a truck going from city to city or whatever it is, that they have the specific training that they need in order to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, you were talking about, yeah, we need to make sure that we're, we look like Fox News or, or whatever, the, whatever the news is. It is about that. It is about how you present yourself because when we've been all sat here, I'm sure now if we turn the cameras off, we'd probably be able to describe what are the items that are behind each other and mm. things like that. And, and that's the sort of thing that people are going to, when you're talking with a customer, they're not just looking at you. You know, most people don't look at the camera. They, they look at the screen and that can be a bit off-putting as well at a, a virtual event. Um, and it's about thinking about, okay, how am I going to engage with people? This is different from when I used to go to an exhibition and meet people and chat with them and, and things like that. And it's about getting people to get into a different mindset and thinking about, okay, we need to look at the education we're going to give those people, and get them to have the opportunity to be able to practice it and get critiqued on it and get coached on it before they actually go to a live event when they're practicing on their real customers and not getting it right, maybe. And I think something to add to that too is that with all the struggles that we are having reaching our target audience, some folks are forgetting the end user, which is the patient and keeping the humanity and the patient focus as as at the forefront of your marketing and at your event strategy. You know, KOLs, they, you know, they care about the widget. Obviously they care about the device, but their ultimate goal at the end of the day is how does this benefit my patient? And we need to make sure that we're keeping that at front of mind Uh, just because we're having a hard time reaching them. It doesn't mean that we should stop thinking about the end customer, Um, you know, keep, keep the humanity in our marketing and make sure that in this time where we all are struggling and rebounding from a very tumultuous year uh, that we're, we're kind of, we're appealing to the emotions and to the humanity of people. Yeah. Or that's a great point. That's push pull. Do you market to your, you know, do you skip a trade show and begin to market directly to your target population, right? Mm -hmm. With geo-targeting or, you know, Facebook or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's, again, I I agree. We have to look at this totally different. It's not just how do I mail a letter faster? It's how do I communicate with that person in maybe a completely different way? Yes. Yeah. One one thing that um, Lauren brought up earlier was that uh, platform or the Eat and Gauge. I don't know if any of you saw that, um, program I did with um, Avi Tesler. I think that's his name, Avi Tesler, who's the CEO mm-hmm. um, with his thick accent. But still, you know, it's amazing. Merck uses them exclusively. And, you know, I didn't say that. I don't think we said that in the in the uh, podcast, videocast that we did. But attendance rate goes up like to 85% where typical webinar attendance rates are really low. But you'd want it more focused you know, with people that you really want to have, you know, attending the webinar, but the attendance rates really go up and the, the feeling of commitment of the attendee goes up to the engagement. So um, there's other little tricks that can be pulled there. So I, I don't want to take this on too much longer, but what I'd like, so looking into 2021, I'm just going to go through each of you, you know, I'll start with Jeff, you know, 2021, you know, you, you had your 2020 experience, where are you going to attend a couple shows in a different way? Or are you going to, and, or are you going to invest money elsewhere? Yes. And yes. Um, okay. So we are, we are going to t- attend select shows, but they're very targeted shows. Again, 
um, we're focused on you know who are the who are the largest advocates for our technology. So in our case, it's going to be pediatric otolaryngologists and people who treat otitis media, right? So we're going to focus on those very niche shows. And then the broader shows, I like Lauren's idea of, of, of being present by advertising, but not being present by booth. Um, so I think there's there's that's there are the shows you just have to be present at, right? If you want to build a name, you have to be there. I think the other thing too is, is looking at where we're investing our money. Um, you know, again, going back to what is the objective and can I achieve that objective in a different manner? Carl. Yeah, I think, um, I think uh, that, that chart that uh, you put up that Lauren provided was an excellent checklist. Um, our approach is going to be, um, Jeff mentioned it, sometimes you're conspicuous by your absence. So there's some conferences you just have to participate in, but we're going to participate in it differently. Um, we'll have advertising or sponsor a, a, a learning session. Um, for CEU credits. So we're at least branded and we're there. Um, but we are falling back on the more intimate um, organizations, uh, associations, where we know that the folks there are going to value that conference, um, perhaps better than 58,000 radiologists value their, their participation in the RSNA. Um, and with that, we'll be supplied email addresses if we don't already have um, if we don't already have that kind of contact information with the attendees. Um, and we'll because I think today people want the attendees virtual conferences for content and learning. Um, so we're going to sponsor uh, learning programs, and that may involve devices we support and sell, um, or may just involve uh, education on particular treatment. And then the town hall meeting strategy is one that we're pretty committed to at this point. But our our budget was cut from last year. Um, and we're going to try these new, we're going to try these new approaches. And uh, we're building out our social media presence, which we think will supplement anything we do on a trade show basis. So that's okay. the approach this year. And then Mark, what would you advise you know, your clients that are wrestling with their experiences in the past year? Um, for me, it's going to be about going back to that. What is, what is it you're trying to achieve from attending one of these uh, exhibitions? Are there a better alternative? So it could very well be to think about KOL involvement so that you actually put some of your money into the KOLs because the KOLs are the ones that potentially are going to be the speakers at these events. Um, and so if they start talking about uh, or utilizing some of the images of some of your products, that can give you a, um, a lot of throughput to your website. Um, but it's going to be about thinking, okay, what are the alternative ways of being able to engage with people? Yeah, there are some exhibitions which in the past it's been we have to be there. I've worked for organizations where they went, actually, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to go to the same event, not have a booth, but we're going to go down the route of looking at providing some sort of educational aspect to it. Um, and that got people to go there to listen to the education and therefore you didn't have a sales booth. Um, you were looking at driving it. So it's going to be very much about what are the, if you look at the money that you're going to spend, what's the best way and look back at what's happened in 2020 um, and see 
which of those exhibitions really generated you zero leads or what was your return on investment? Mm-hmm. And thinking, should we continue to go to that exhibition? Or are the organizers really engaging with the trade to say, but we need to work out how we're going to make this better. And if that's happening, then maybe you continue to go. But if they don't, then maybe it's time to say, thank you, but we'll look at alternative ways. And Lauren, you've had a number of experiences with clients over the past year, and I'm sure that you're helping them strategize for 2021. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to mention that there's no one size fits all for event and trade show success. Uh, so my suggestion to clients is to not piecemeal your events and marketing strategy, but instead look at it as a, as a full year, you know, put your plan in place, determine what defines success, what your KPIs are, and look outside of the booth at what your broader opportunities are to have meaningful engagements with your potential customers. And that means hosting your own webinars. That means partnering with associations for opportunities outside of their annual meetings. That means getting creative and taking a box truck on the road or hosting a virtual dinner symposia and develop that plan for your whole year, budget for it, make sure that you have B and C backups should these things not pan out and expect that your events program is going to be different from what it has been historically. You can't compare it to the leads you got at a in-person trade show because you'd be comparing apples and oranges. So adjust your expectations, still have your end goal in mind, and then brainstorm unique ways to, to achieve the results that you want. There's so many different paths to get there. And I think that you just need to really look at your technology and look at your target audience and determine what's the best path to take. But where do you see your clients going? Are they, are they in general reducing the amount they're spending on trade shows and increasing the amount they're spending on alternatives? Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're kind of all over the board, really. The advice that I am giving clients is to, reduce booth spend until we can see a return of in-person or hybrid trade shows potentially later this year. Be prepared for that because people are chomping at the bits to to get back to in-person, to have those hallway conversations, to have that meaningful personal interaction with people. And until then, kind of reduce your trade show spend and look at creative alternatives. So like Mark was saying, bulk up on social media, um, you know, determine and pursue alternate paths. That's the way that I'm positioning strategy for clients this year. Okay. Well, this has really been great. We've talked about some really cool stuff and um, got a really good view of the landscape, where we came from in 2020, where we should be going in 2021. So I really appreciate everybody's participation. I don't know if anybody has a last comment or a last thought that we haven't captured. Are we all okay? <laughs> thanks for the invite. Appreciate yeah. it. Yep. Oh, well, thanks for spending. And thanks for spending an extra 20 minutes with, with us today beyond the hour. So with that, I'm going to sign off. Lauren, thank you. Jeff, thank you. Mark, thank you. And Carl, thank you very much. All of you. A pleasure. Thank thanks. You. Nice to meet you all. Thank all you right. too. Bye-bye. I know. What a sharp group of people. That is a lot to digest. And the consensus is, 
that virtual trade shows were not great investments for small to medium-sized med tech companies in 2020 and most likely will not be good investments in 2021 either. Even the associations that organize these events know that the med tech industry isn't happy, and they're not happy either. But that doesn't solve the problem that spending money at these virtual trade shows does not help with demand generation. You may want to invest in a small virtual trade show exhibit at some of these some of these meetings just to show the flag and show some support for the association. However, you'll probably want to divert trade show resources to other demand generation marketing activities for 2021. If you want to see the video cast so you can look at some of the slides that we showed, feel free to take advantage of the 30-day free trial at medtechleaders.net. You can go into the community for 30 days. You can look at everything you want to look at. There's lots of great virtual trade show information, virtual selling, demand generation, and then quit before the 30 days is up. You will not hurt my feelings. So if you've liked what you've heard on this podcast, please rate it, recommend it, and or subscribe. Thanks so much for being here with us again this week. Now, go win your week. 